everyone. Welcome to At Any Rate podcast uh, from JP Morgan. I'm Mira from the FX Strategy team here in London. And I'm joined today by Jeb Barry, who is from the US rate strategy team uh, over in New York. So the focus remains very much on central banks uh, within uh, the DM space. Uh, BOJ depo- uh, disappointed today, but we have other big central bank meetings coming up. Uh, next week, the focus will be squarely on the Fed and the ECB. Uh, also, uh, we have the U.S. payrolls. So I think uh, let's just start with the U.S., uh, given that the calendar is quite heavy there. Um, Jay, our baseline for the Fed is a 25 basis points hike, which is uh, which is pretty much widely expected as pricing to markets. But clearly, focus will be on forward guidance. Do you think there's any way that the Fed can um, surprise, surprise us hawkishly next week? Uh, my personal bias is uh, that they can't really do that, but I'm curious what you're thinking. Um, I'm almost wondering if uh, the employment report is actually more important. Uh, what do you think? Hey, Mira, thanks for having me today. I, I tend to agree. As you've said, uh, the markets are largely fully priced for a hike next week. There was a little bit of a wobble earlier in the week as the regional bank concerns came back to the forefront. But we are still pricing in you know, more or less a 90% probability that the Fed will raise rates next week. And I kind of think on a forward basis what we'd expect out of the meeting. And certainly the Fed softened its forward guidance over the last couple of meetings. But it's probably likely that it makes further softening of this forward guidance as, as we move forward. Certainly, as we've seen sort of more dispersion in commentary from Fed officials over the last sort of few weeks and months. And we can see that in our, our Fed sentiment index or the, the Hawk Dove score, which the economics team has put together recently. Um, but it would seem difficult for me to think that the, the Fed could surprise in a hawkish manner, particularly because we are pricing in not just the full hike for basically next week, but some probability that the Fed actually hikes in June as well. And I think if you talk to our U.S. economics team, they have continued to say that the probability of two hikes is greater than the probability of zero. But to your point, really, the the onus is going to be on the data to be able to price a hike in in June. So I do think outside of the press conference and what could come out of it, it's the labor market data that will be very influential for next week. And it's interesting that you look at consensus expectations, and I think there's something like consensus of 180K in NFP growth for next week, which would still be more than enough to keep the unemployment rate from moving higher and probably press the unemployment rate lower. But importantly, it's half the average run rate of what we observed over the last three months. So I think it's going to be, you know, perhaps even more important than the Fed next week, to your point right there. Okay, so uh, with that background, what is the outlook for U.S. rates going into this key event? You have been pointing out that U.S. yields look uh, quite low and there's a lot of cuts priced in. Is that actually a reason to be uh, bearish on treasuries? Yeah, I think if we were to take just a very macro view of the U.S. rates markets, you said it. I think we have the Fed... Um, hiking next week and then on hold until the second quarter of next year, and markets are still pricing in close to 60 basis points of cuts. So that, I think, would sort of indicate that you know, you'd know you rather lean somewhat more bearishly. Further from that, longer out the yield curve, even after adjusting for this dovish market pricing, as well as the market's inflation and growth expectations. And we've been kind of flagging this for the better part of this month, that Long-term yields look about 25 basis points too low as well. So I think how the market's pricing the Fed, also how sort of we appear in our valuation framework would indicate that you'd want to be bearish. And it's interesting that this has all happened as investor positioning has lengthened. So our latest Treasury client survey released earlier this week showed that on a net basis, 9% of the clients we survey every week were long, um, not very long, but this is still the longest our survey has been since late in the summer of 2020. 
And it's also about two plus standard deviations longer than where it's been over the past year. So that would ordinarily be a bearish flag as well. But the thing that sort of makes me hesitant to really be tactically bearish here is two to threefold. Um, you know, I think one, uh, very obviously that we are very close to the end of the hiking cycle and all the work that we have done. And I know you've done your work on Fed pauses as well, indicate that it's safer to buy duration as you get within the visibility of the last hike or two. And certainly we're in that realm right now, either the Fed's done next week or potentially done in June. So that means that you saw sort of all sequels should feel more comfortable owning duration at this moment. Second, you know, looping back to what you just talked about with the data that we are expecting further deceleration in the labor market. Um, we've seen jobless claims have been on a, on a trend higher, gentle as it may be. And I think if you, know, if you look at the revisions to, to retail sales this week, and what we learned from the GDP data is that there is a slowing in final demand going on. So if growth is slowing, and we feel decisively so that we're going to be running subtrend into Q and beyond, that's not sort of a reason to sort of really get short right now either. And then finally, and we can probably spend a bit more time talking about this if you'd like, is that we are getting into the window where the debt ceiling should matter a lot more for the treasury market. And that matters because as you get very mature in a debt ceiling debate without resolution and get closer to the X date for a potential technical default, that in the past has been a risk-off event. It's also been very positive for duration as well. So I think if you were just to take an isolated look, Fed pricing valuations and positioning would also say we'd rather be short right now, but there's other factors that sort of prevent us from doing so for the time being. Okay, so that's uh, that's a pretty good segue into the debt ceiling discussion because uh, you can't really uh, get anywhere on discussing the U.S. without having that uh, being brought up. Now, some people have pointed to U.S. Uh, sovereign CDS spreads widening out quite a bit um, uh, to the record highs, um, but uh, but clearly, you know, that's not the most tradable um, instrument out there. Are you seeing any signs of stresses in more sort of direct and more liquid uh, parts of the treasury market? And and also, I mean, the recent tax receipts, have they altered your view on when we hit the drop dead date for treasuries? I think certainly as a starting point, the tax season has increased the um, sort of focus on this once again, Mira. And to be fair, we had expected some weakness in tax receipts this April relative to last year. Um, our baseline budget deficit forecast of $1.41 trillion is nearly $400 billion wider than last fiscal year. And we know that with the bulk of the receipts coming in in April, that implied some sort of disappointment. But when we sort of you know take a step back over and above that wider budget deficit forecast, it appears receipts are tracking slightly weaker than we would have expected. So uh, I think this means, you know, we have been saying we think that the X date, the drop dead date is somewhere in the early to middle part of August. With this modest disappointment, perhaps that moves that into the first week of August or maybe even the last week in July, but not terribly different from our baseline forecast that we've been using for the last few months. So it stayed the same. But nonetheless, now that we're through tax season, I think it's reinforcing the focus on what's happened here, particularly because this week, Speaker Kevin McCarthy um, it took a lot of work to get his um, debt ceiling bill through the House, but he did get it through. And I think the understanding there is that sort of unlikely to pass in any form in the Senate. And this is just the opening salvo in what is expected to be a pretty bruising debate. So what has this meant for markets? Well, we've noticed that T-bills maturing in July and August have been trading at a discount relative to surrounding tenors, implying that sort of the drop dead date zone, as we've been forecasting. But over the past week or so, the T-bill curve has flattened and bills maturing in June have cheapened up somewhat as well, saying perhaps that the probability of a June X date has increased. 
And while we continue to think it's much later in the summer, I think there just is some concern there that if the corporate tax date on June 15th is not as robust as most expect, that there could be risk of an earlier X date. We think that probability is somewhat low. Um, so I think you're seeing markets are still pricing in July, August, but with a rising probability of June. And there hasn't been much outright cheapening this week to indicate that the sort of the, the concern is greater than it was a couple of weeks ago. You have pointed out the, the CDS market, and it's an illiquid market, I think, with very small outstandings, and that spreads there are wider than where they were in 2011, which we are all aware of as the most challenging debt ceiling debate we've had thus far, resulting in the U.S. downgrade. But I think the important thing to note is that while nominal spreads are wider, we're also in a much different rate environment than we were then. We were clearly at the zero lower bound, and most treasury bond prices were trading very close to par. As a function of this very historically rapid tightening cycle that we've seen over the course of the past year, you know, you've got most of the treasury complex trading at a discount. And that matters because I think, you know, the bond that's the bond, there are a number of treasury bonds that are trading with a low $60 price handle. So the implied probability of default is still significantly lower than it was in 2011. So I think the market's angst over the debt ceiling is rising. I'd expect it now that we're kind of within three months of the X date to sort of rise further but on sort of an uneven basis as we see how these negotiations proceed. And I think watching the T-bill curve is going to be the best place to watch what's going on right there. But thanks for that, Mira. And so maybe if I can just sort of turn to you right now and, and focus on, on the FX markets. Um, you've talked about the Fed, um, and we've talked about the event risk about payrolls next week. How do you think the dollar reacts to this Fed outcome and to a deceleration in labor markets next week? Sure. So I think the dollar story actually remains um, quite complicated. We've been talking about how, you know, you have a situation where um, end of cycle concerns are paramount for U.S. investors and uh, U.S. recession risks are high. Uh, the recent banking stress hasn't helped. But on top of that, um, as a massive counterweight, you have this massively improving growth momentum out of China and Europe, which is which is providing a pretty strong counterweight. Um, and under normal circumstances would have resulted in dollar weakness. I think going into the Fed, it's important to keep in mind that this is, uh, we are sort of approaching the end of the cycle. This is at least in our base case, the last one. Uh, there's a possibility that there could be another one after this, but you know we're kind of thinking that we're uh, at the end of the road here as far as the Fed hikes are concerned. Um, and the typical uh, reaction from the broad dollar has been for the dollar to weaken uh, modestly in the aftermath. Uh, of uh, of uh, such uh, pauses. Um, at the same time, you also tend to see carry uh, FX carry the high yielders tend to outperform quite a bit uh, as people are looking for a sort of alternative sources of returns. Um, and you know, you kind of take that historical performance and you combine that with what's um, you know what's going on with the global growth narrative with China and um, the eurozone. I think it kind of tells you that. Uh, the bias here for the dollar should be uh, sort of leaning probably mildly to the uh, to the better side, but I don't think it's straightforward. I think it's important to take a split view, and uh, probably we you know the space that we think is the most resilient are the high yielders. And as far as the Fed is concerned, I agree with you. I think it's going to be hard for the Fed to surprise hawkishly, and I think uh, you could get a situation where actually the market reacts quite well. Um, i.e. the dollar, uh, you know, sort of the, the market behaves in a deflationary manner and the dollar weakens slightly just immediately after the Fed meeting. But we have to watch out for the payrolls number because that's really ultimately what's going to guide uh, what uh, the market pricing for the Fed does. So that's 
that's what I would be keeping an eye on um, for the US. And beyond that, I think global PMIs are going to be quite important um, at the start of the week, because if we get a Fed that's on hold, uh, a slightly um, sort of uh, uh, declining trajectory on the payrolls and combine that with pretty robust numbers from China, I mean, I think that would sort of prolong this uh, reflationary um, dynamic uh, that we're seeing among the high yielders and FX. But overall, on dollar direction, uh, as far as the broad index is concerned, uh, you know, we are we are neutral, but focusing a bit more on some of the idiosyncratic stories here um, and, and looking for high yielders to continue to outperform. That's great. Thanks. And now, um, I think we've spent a lot of time focusing on the Fed, but we also obviously have the ECB on Thursday next week on May the 4th, and we can cue all the Star Wars jokes there. Um, but what's the outlook for the ECB next week and how do you expect the euro to react? So I think what's interesting about euro um, is that um, the rate differentials have been widening in favor of the euro dollar. Uh, we've been making that, uh, you know, point for a while now that that this widening in rate differentials in favor of euro is normal. It, it's it usually happens at the end of a Fed hiking cycle. The convergence of currencies to that is is a whole different matter. Usually, you need growth in the region for euro dollar to actually uh, converge to its fair value. So, if I take a look at fair value right now, based on uh, nominal rate differentials, it's around. It's pretty high. It's around one fifteen, one sixteen. Uh, it got to as high as one seventeen in the middle of the week. Uh, if I take a look at real rate differentials, you know that's slightly lower. I would say probably closer to one ten, one eleven. But um, to me, the big issue here is that uh, we've had this is coming off, um, uh, you know, this is coming off a slash BMI print that was fairly robust as well. So um, as far as the ECB is concerned, our base case is for a 50 basis point hike from the ECB. Uh, that, if realized, would be uh, more hawkish than markets, uh, which are currently indicating about a 28 uh, basis point hike. So, so closer to 25. And if I take a look at the consensus distribution, I think only 15% of the economists or so um, uh, are looking for a 50 basis point hike. So we are certainly in the minority, uh, but I think that equally what that means is that if we do get a 25 basis point um, hike next week, that's not going to be a major disappointment uh, to markets. And the tail risk here really is the big surprise is going to be if we actually get a 50. So um, and, and, and I think what also helps the currency in particular is that uh, euro dollar is actually undershooting that trade differential. So my personal bias is probably a little bit um, you know, more skewed to the upside as far as the euro is concerned um, heading into the ECB meeting. But obviously, there's a confluence of things going on. Uh, you know, like I said, we have the PMIs, we have US payrolls, we have the Fed. So uh, it might not all work out according to plan, but certainly all else equal. Um, I think um, I think euro should be biased a bit a bit higher from here. Got it. So a lot of cross currents, but as you just said, uh, a bias for a stronger euro, all is equal heading into next week. One final thing to to bring back, and because you were pinging me on the debt ceiling, one of our favorite topics, um, can you spend a little time talking about um, how you think the debt the debt ceiling is impacting um, currency markets and what we should be looking out as we get deeper into this debate as we head towards the summer as well? Yeah, I think what's um, what's interesting right now, I, I, by the way, I do agree with the fact that the cleanest read on this is probably from T-bills um, rather than uh, other uh, parts of the macro market, particularly FX, I think has a lot um, going on. I mean, if you say that the drop dead date is um, sort of three months away, um, you know, the, the usual playbook um, as far as currencies is concerned, it's a bit uh, too far out for us to be actively 
sort of uh, um, be, being able to uh, sort of monetize that view, in a, if, so to speak. Uh, what I mean by that is the typical playbook for, um, for something like the debt ceiling would be that U.S., uh, uh, you know, the U.S. dollar would weaken versus other reserve assets. That would be including gold. It would include euro, Swiss, and uh, the Japanese yen. Um, you know, so that that would normally be the uh, the dollar weakness uh, versus other reserve assets would normally be sort of the best way to uh, position for this. Uh, the problem is that uh, you have a whole host of events in the interim. Um, you know, that that could sort of overtake, uh, consider a pair like dollar Swiss, uh, you know, Swiss, it looks like does, uh, has been used as a potential hedge for sort of the debt ceiling outcomes. It's looking uh, like it's pretty rich uh, on our, uh, some of our models. Uh, but if you take a look at dollar Swiss, I mean, we're going into the payrolls report. And again, the Fed, um, I think dollar Swiss can move a lot, um, regardless of what's going on with the debt ceiling debate, given all these other macro factors. So it's not necessarily three months ahead of the you know event, not necessarily the best way to think about, you know, to position uh, for that event. Similarly, for dollar yen, for example, we had the Bank of Japan today, uh, which disappointed. And so if you were thinking the dollar yen would be a viable way to kind of think about the debt ceiling, um, to position for the debt ceiling, you know, that would have been uh, a pretty big macro event from the BOJ that completely offset that. So I think it's better to look for narrower and more direct ways to, to really position for it. But ultimately, as far as FX is concerned, I think as we get closer and closer to the date, um, the dollar should start to underperform other reserve currencies. And, uh, and I think before that, you could probably, uh, you should be seeing that there's certain points on the volatility service, surface and FX uh, for, for pairs like dollar Swiss and dollar yen that start to become uh, more expensive. And that's something that uh, we have been looking for. Um, so rather than position in currencies outright, preferring to do it either through sort of wall surface um, uh, kind of uh, expressions, or as you said, Jay, uh, look, at, look at the T-bill market. So we will stop here. Um, thanks a lot, uh, Jeff, for joining us today. And for more information uh, on our uh, views, please take a look at jpmorganmarkets.com. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on April 28, 2023.